countdown to the last comic shop in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Remember, remember the 5th of November, the gunpowder treason and plot. I know of no reason the gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. That's right, we opened the shop up, we made some popcorn this month, because we're not only just talking comics, we're talking comics and movies, so we're really opening that tent up for the newbies. That's right, we're keeping the lights on for the oldies that like those movies from 2005? Is that what yeah. that came out? It's been a long time. Book that goes with it, from 1980-whatever. Oh my god! So <laughs> some old. people weren't even born yet! Not not any of us, we're old fogies, but some of the new folks, they probably... Ancient history! And what's not ancient history is me being the host the most every single week at The Last Comic Shop. I'm Andy Larson, I'm joined by my regular co-host, J.A. Scott and Chad Smith, as well as this week, the wonderful Mikey Wood, who had to be on this week's show because mm. this is one of his favorite comic books of all time. Yes. It is V for Vendetta. Talking about Alan Moore. I think this is the second Alan Moore book we've done on the show, right, kids? We've done, what, Swamp Thing before, but I don't think we've done any other Alan Moore, right? You haven't? Watchmen? No. No, we did Rorschach, but no. we didn't do actually Watchmen. We did, wow. we did Watchmen adjacent. Lost yes. Girls? You didn't yeah. even do Lost Girls? No, that that one's icky. Yeah. <laughs> it is icky. We didn't do Tom Strong. Oh, we did that on some other show. Mm. We didn't do League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. We did that on another show. Mm. We wanted to do From Hell. Weren't we going to do From Hell? That's yes, I actually read that. That one blew up the last show. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great book. It's hard to read, but it's a great book. It is a long slog. You need to take a week off of work to read from hell. like Just the, for the appendix. You'll need just an extra time. week. To yeah. Plus, if you were going to watch the movie, you need to take a, a week off of work because it's awful. And that's how long you need to, to recover from watching. You can just hell. watch the court on YouTube and get all of it. No, we're not talking about. We're talking about V for Vendetta, not from hell, not Johnny Depp, not any of that. Free V for Vendetta, yeah. the comic book first. Yeah. And then we'll get to the movie adaptation right after the commercial break. But real quickly, let's go ahead and get the creators from the guy that likes this book so much. That's Mikey Woods. So, yes. Mikey, yeah. who did this book with Alan Moore? Well, it was Alan Moore and David Lloyd. Um, it started out as a serial in uh, Warrior Magazine in Europe in 1982. Europe, England. Um, and I don't think they ever finished it in warrior i think it went to a certain point and it stopped there um and it was black and white very limited color and it works really well and it's beautiful and then dc started publishing it in 88 to 89 and it ran 10 issues there and that's when i first read it obviously having not been in england in 1982 having not been alive in england well yes i mean i was alive i, I was in high school when v for vendetta came out and it was earth shattering to me it was just on their vertigo imprint so it, no it was, this predated it was vertigo it, it was just regular dc it was just regular oh, okay. dc uh it's, reprints have since been i believe branded vertigo or something i imagine then. now they'll be black label because it was it was very much an adult oriented kind of well that was wasn't that one of alan moore's big things because they put suggested for mature audiences yeah 
and he yeah. was not a fan of that? Well, he's not a fan of anything. He's grumpy. He's um, a grumpy man. <laughs> he's a grumpy man. He's a very grumpy man. He, he'll but, be upset that we've credited him with working on this book on this right, show. Right, right. right. He's a, he's allowed to be grumpy, though, if you think about it. His output is, like, so tremendous that he could be as pissed as he wants about And he could use the promotion for his master class. That's right. Yeah. Have you ever seen what a comic book script by Alan Moore looks like? It's like a telephone book. Oh, my God. It's amazing. Okay. Well, yeah. I'm going to get to the big burning question of whether you like this more than Watchmen. But first, we got to get to the 10 cent synopsis. So, Chad, what happens in V for Vendetta? At least in 10 cents for <laughs> So there's this young lady named Evie, and she meets this guy named B that wears one of those scary guy fox masks, which I didn't realize weren't a thing until this uh, came out. Yeah. Like, uh, you learn something new every day. But anyway, so this guy fox is a bit of an uh, anarchist, and England has been, it's uh, post, uh, was it a nuclear war? Yes. Yeah. And so there's this fascist government that is, you know, controlling the people and they, the bad, yeah, bad guys. And then he's like, no, we need to blow up the bad guys. And then he's like, we shouldn't blow up the guys. And then he's like, I'm going to blow up the guys. And then, and then hilarity ensues. And that's, that's the story, right? right. Basically. At, at least 10 cents version. Sure. Anarchy, anarchy versus fascism. Uh, in For the soul in, of England post yes. Maggie Thatcher. Yes, that's that's basically it. But we're going to get to that, those initial thoughts, and we're going to start off with J.A., uh, since he didn't do either the creators or the 10 cent synopsis. So what he do gets you to, do? He gets to go first with like what he thought, because I think this was your first time reading V for Vendetta. It was my first time reading it. It's very different from the movie, much more nuanced. Uh, the movie cuts out. Well, we'll get to that when we talk about the movie. I really enjoyed it. It's thought-provoking. It's written in a way that doesn't put you as the reader into one camp or the other, which I really enjoyed. I like that it makes you have to form your opinion of – because, I mean, there's lots of gray in there. And the book makes you form your own sort of thoughts on on V. You know, Evie makes a lot of points that – I mean, V, maybe you're uh, (laughs) you're a little bit over the line on this. You're a little crazy. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly that, uh, again, you're unlike the movie, which really portrays V as kind of a romantic swashbuckler, almost kind of hero. Like you're just, like V in the book. He's he's, he's a murderer. He kills 50 people. He's ruthless. He and, and he's very single minded. He's got goals and he's going to meet those goals and ends justify the means. And you, you do have to pick sides when. Honestly, there's not really a good side to this. I mean, sure, V seems like he's a quote-unquote caped hero, but he's he's not. And plus the fact that he tortures Evie for no other reason to break her so that she can eventually become his protege, which I think is like the most interesting part of this whole book. This isn't the first time I've read it, but my initial thought is like the first 50 pages. It, It took a little bit of time. For me to get warmed up. And then by about the time that Evie leaves him for the first time, the wheels start turning. And then it just becomes like a a snowball downhill. And especially after the whole scene with Evie being in the the camp and she's reading the letter and all that stuff. That stuff is like my my favorite part of the entire book. 
I think. It was just that that, mm-hmm. that middle part. What does everybody think about that? Like the, the relationship between EV and, and V. Mikey? It is very complicated. There, there's a reason that V is dressed like Guy Fawkes. And people have misinterpreted this, this book and even the image of Guy Fawkes. Because now, you know, that mask has been adapted by Anonymous and all that other stuff like that. And they've, they've missed... The point of why he was Guy Fawkes. Because Guy Fawkes was not a hero. They don't have Guy Fawkes Day in honor of Guy Fawkes. They have Guy Fawkes Day to lambast and make fun of Guy Fawkes. Because the gunpowder treason was a failure. And the whole idea of him being this anarchist dressed like Guy Fawkes is, if you know the British history, Guy Fawkes was a was a extremist um, uh, uh, who wanted to blow up the Houses of Parliament in the name of some kind of, you know, his, his religious extremism. And it didn't work. So it correlates with that sort of thing because V is not right. But and never and I don't think I don't think Ellen Moore projects him as right. I don't think he presents them as being in the right. So his relationship with Evie is just like him, a gray area where you can look at what he does to her as being incredibly abusive and horrible. He puts her through basically the same things that he and Valerie, who you learn about later on, went through. But at the same time, you look at what Evie becomes after all of that, and you can see it as a rebirth because she's no longer this weak confused girl she's this she's a fighter and she's a freedom fighter and you you get the feeling that she basically assumes the mantle of, of v and carries it on and finds her own person that will be the next person to carry on in theory so he creates a freedom fighter gives her the tools necessary to become this next step and hopefully do a better job than he does because she has a different mindset so so yeah, I mean it's 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 so complicated and it's one of the most if you want to look at it at its at its base, if you want to look at it as like a a hero and a sidekick, which it's not really, but it sort of is, it's the most complicated relationship between a hero and the sidekick that I've probably ever read. Well, is it like it's a monster creating another monster so they could weaponize that monster and use well, it. Well, sure, yeah, sure for their and goals. It's like Batman and Robin. Except yeah. you take it one step further. Like you could, you could totally see this being a Batman story. I'm going to just say it. What I think should happen more often in comic books is the whole thing that doesn't happen, where people pass on the mantle from one character to the other. That's why I always like the Phantom, like the old school Lee Falk, the Phantom, where the Phantom dies, but then somebody immediately takes his place. So everybody in that area thinks that the Phantom's actually immortal because he's a symbol. He's a character that can't die. You can't kill him. He just comes back as somebody else. Yeah. And each Phantom he's is an idea. Exactly. So V for Vendetta plays with that notion of like, again, a hero that can't die because he's already replaced by somebody else that brings it one step further. And I, I think that's fascinating. But at the same time, I thought this is Batman if Batman was completely effed up. Like if he took Robin from a kid and tortured him to become another Batman like he was tortured. Well, he but that's did. what they do, they though. Just don't write it. That's, he, that's he the Jason I mean, Robin. Yeah, what, I, what I love about how Alan Moore presents that is early on, you he talks about the Milgram experiment that was done in Yale, where essentially they get these people in a room telling them that there's people in another room and, and the author, it's a uh, study on authoritarianism, where basically if I tell you to push this button, you will push this button and you think you're hurting somebody. But if I tell you it's OK, you'll do it anyway. <laughs> And and so you disassociate 
the pain that you're causing somebody because somebody told you it's okay and and it's not you that's doing it. I'm telling you to do it. So you are able to disassociate yourself from the things that you are causing. That and that's how the the doctor could disassociate herself from all the experiments she was doing on on the lesbians on on, on, on V it's in Larkhill. But then you take that a step farther. That's how V can disassociate what he's doing to Evie. Yeah. And then Evie can disassociate what she, she carries that on. She beca- So it's uh, that, I think, is really well done. It's like when the not- Nazi war criminals were put on trial uh, after World War II, they all said the same thing. They were just following orders. They're just following orders. That's all. Yeah. And it's and it's this book is strangely like reading it now, you know, with all the knowledge and all this, the past things that we've dealt with in America politically, it's really strange to read Make Britain Great Again in the pages of this of this book. You know, you can't not get political when you're talking about this book. So it's it's just it's it's weird and strangely prophetic and scary to read about this and see how easily plausible this kind of thing is probably wouldn't take much to get us or england for that matter or anywhere to that point um yeah, and, like i read alan moore when he talked about the setup for the book he was basically saying so the idea is that margaret thatcher and the conservative party in england were voted out of power and it, liberals came in and passed a lot of pacifist laws like withdrew and then got bombed in a limited nuclear war so it wasn't that like Thatcher's England became more and more authoritarianism. It was that England swung very, very left, very, very liberal, mm-hmm. went to war. And then this is the reaction to that. Because it opens the door for the worst people. And it, and it is scary to think about the systems that we all participated to be part of a society. And like, what harm are we inadvertently causing? What buttons are we pushing? That are damaging other people because someone is telling us to push a button. You're like, well, mm-hmm. I, I didn't have to. Sh- I'm here to push the buttons. Uh, yeah, that, that there's that section in the in the book where uh, V and and something similar happens in the movie. We'll talk about it. But V infiltrates a television studio and and holds people at bomb point and forces them to play this manifesto that he did, which is really clever and it's really awesome and it's like a it's like a uh, performance review on humanity, you know, at a job. <laughs> and the whole idea and and. Part of the running theme of the book is that things are where they are because we let it get that way. We elect these people. We let them get into power. We do we do these kind and we just sit complacently in our living room and watch us as, as it's as easier. This, it's easier. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is a world where Ten years prior, they were kicking doors down in V for Vendetta, not our world, but you know who knows. But in V for Vendetta, you know, ten years prior to the book starting or whatever, they're kicking doors down and dragging homosexuals and uh, you know African Europeans and and uh, every out into the street and taking them into concentration camps and things to that effect, um, because it's it's all about racial purity, you know, it's all about that kind of stuff. And you just have to imagine all of the what about all of these people? Why didn't anybody try to stop? Why did? Because it's not them. It may right. be their neighbors. Their neighbors may be a Pakistani family that gets dragged out to a camp and never seen again. But they're okay. They still have their television show. They still have their oh yeah, Sam Saxon. Yeah, Sam yeah. Saxon. But what would it take for it to actually occur? Well, you know. Well, one of the other things that's interesting about this book is not just the story with with V and Evie, 
But you get all these kind of subplots about all the people that are actually making up this government of this Norse fire, like mm-hmm. and all the political machinations between them and vying for position. And the a very interesting storyline about the head of the whole thing mm-hmm. who is in love with the supercomputer and some, yes. of, some of the creepiest scenes that I've seen in a comic book in a long, yeah. long time. Mr. Susan. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Again, really driving home the point that, like, people that run these kind of totalitarian regimes really are just... But in his mind, he's doing the right thing. Those are always the best bad guys. <laughs> yeah. Like, the ones who believe what, what they're spouting. And that's and that's something that Alan Moore is actually quite good at. Because if you look at Azimandius in The Watchmen, he's a madman, but he unified the world. I, I mean, he killed millions of people, but the best villains are the ones who... If you look at it from a certain point of view, you could almost say, I get it. Yeah. You know, right. and Susan it is makes like you that. really question that do the ends justify the means. Well, I guess that's my question, though. Did you guys enjoy all that subplot stuff? Like, did oh, you yeah. think it added to the overall book? Well, it's nice to have a book with nuance where the only like ultimate bad guy was the priest, which we all know organized religion. <laughs> but, uh, but no, like, even the quote unquote bad guys, even. They all had their reasons for doing things. They all had, uh, you know, something they were buying into, whether it was the pursuit of power or using power to fulfill a goal. And, you know, you see these people get twisted from these ideas. And even, you know, the, the side that you're supposed to be rooting for, I don't even know if you're supposed to be rooting for V. I have approached this later on in life. And so, like, it scares me a little bit. I wish I would have read this earlier before I got a hold of things like Fight Club or Clockwork Orange. Back in that time period, I think I might have been more receptive. But now, in 2022, it just cuts too close to the bone. And what I've been able to see as an adult happen to society. And mm-hmm. the giant swings that society takes you know, from one political regime to the next political regime. And how people get so caught up in their ideals they lose sight of everything else and and the other side becomes demonized and i don't know it it just freaks me out so i I, i'm disturbed in a good way but i mean nonetheless he sends these characters that you might even think are just background characters and 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 he sends them on these journeys like the journey that finch takes is is amazing he goes from being just your kind of standard gumshoe cop i'm gonna find out who this is and i'm gonna stop him to like i'm gonna drop acid because i can't figure this out <laughs> you know to like to like and 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 it, nah, I was going to say the only character that doesn't take a journey is V, but that's not true either. It's funny because V is wearing a mask and he never removes the mask and you never see who he is underneath it. It's the same face every time, but there's a there's panels where it's like you could see that he's thinking something and you could mm. see that he's feeling something, maybe a little remorse, maybe a little something. But I think the mission to him is more important than anything else. And that's, you know, can you see that or are you just projecting that? Yeah, that's what I, I was going to say. Do you project? or? But that being said, when you watch the movie, and we'll get to it, his face never changes in the movie, but uh, Hugo Weaving did such a good job in, yeah. in how he handles you know, his body, tilts the face and, and inclines it, that you can see different emotions. And I think, to Chad's point, I think we probably project a bit of what we think he's thinking onto him. Or maybe what we hope he's thinking, too. Because, yeah. like, yeah. because he's a brutal character. I mean, he's brutal. You understand why he's brutal. 
and that scene you mentioned with which is in the movie and i'm glad that they kept it and it's almost verbatim in the movie where she finds valerie's note and reads and the story about, down yeah it's the best scene in the movie we'll it's, get to that when we read oh, the movie and and in the book it's so important to see that that's why you think that v is doing what he's doing because of what happened to him but for me reading this book and i've always felt this I think he's doing it because of what happened to her. There are some people who think that she wasn't real to begin with and he made the whole thing up and stuff. They never really say, I can't remember if they say anything now about or that. Or maybe but, he was Valerie the whole time. Well, there is, there's a belief that some people thought that he was Valerie for a while, but it's definitely a guy. And no, it's not Evie's father. <clears throat> that would have been cheap, and I'm so glad he didn't go that route because it really looks like they're going that route in the beginning of this book. You really think, okay, this is Evie's dad. Even when he says, I'm not your dad. <laughs> You thought that Valerie was made up? Like, because that, that... I that, didn't. That, I mean, because you know, I, I don't. I mean, that, that whole scene where he's talking about, like, like, again, to your point, this is why I'm doing it. It's because I found this note. This is what changed me. This is what made me want to yeah. break out and and go have my epiphany in the rain mm-hmm. or in the fire, I guess, for him. In the fire, yeah. Yeah, you're right. I think it's Valerie that sets up what he does, and then she has the same mm-hmm. reaction you know, to her basically yeah. saying, we may never see each other, but to know that I love you yeah. and to see like that kind of yeah. human warmth and decency from somebody that you don't even in the dire of circumstances is, is very hopeful. And that's yeah, I don't know. I think Valerie's his Tyler. Durden. You, uh, you think it's a, a separate. <laughs> that's, right. the first, that's the first time I ever cried. And maybe the, o- I might be the only time I ever cried reading a comic was when I read that, when that issue came out, I had never, in a comic read anything close to that just heart-wrenching and i I think in the movie they kind of they we'll get to that they changed the it wasn't a nuclear war it was a virus and all this other stuff but uh, it's just such a good book and and it for a while there every time i read it i got something different and i felt something different about it and i think the same thing still happens you know i read this during the thatcher administration and during but i didn't know anything about it because i was just some idiot american but then, you know, later on, it was like the whole poll tax riots and all that other stuff. And you got to know Thatcher through you 2 and, and the music that was going on that way. You couldn't not learn what was going on. And, and, and this was an education reading this book. You said even the bad guys are grayer. It's like the doctor. She, she's been living with this horrible guilt this entire time to the point where she's thankful that V is ending it for her. Either because she just never really had the ability to do so herself or or, or what. And and in the most humane way, if, yeah. if you can say that you can humanely kill somebody or humanely yeah. murder somebody. Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, understand this came out in the middle of Batmania. This yeah. came out. This came out in the middle of like where Batman was the thing. And people were going crazy about that kind of stuff. And in, and in the U.S., the DC it, release of this. Yeah, the mean, DC release. Yeah. It was so. It was such an antithetical. Thank you to what I was actually reading at the time, because at the time I was like reading Batman and Checkmate and things like that. But and this was like part of what molded my brain into the reader that I am now. Um, and I guess that's probably why I love it so much and why I can't stop talking about it. And I'm sorry. That's all right. Let's go ahead and get the ratings. So uh, Jay's likes to give us one out of four scale. I think this one's going to be fairly easy, but we'll see. Uh, so, Jay, uh, what is our one out of four scale for the book V for Vendetta? One out of four Guy Fox masks. Oh, there you go. Uh, we'll go ahead and start off with Chad. Chad, how many Guy Fox uh, masks are you giving V for Vendetta the book? 
Well, like I said, I, I, I don't like it. It's disturbing. Anytime you can give young people some dangerous ideas to mill about uh, and watch what happens. I feel like that's what this does. It goes through and it plays with dangerous ideas. It talks about the effects of dangerous ideas. Going into the movie, the stuff that's inspired and the people that have picked up from this scare the stuffing out of me, too. Like, I'm a fat old man now. I'm on the side of complacency. This is it's unnerving stuff from a craft standpoint. The David Lloyd artwork it is so photorealistic and it, it just, it is so disturbing whenever they drain all the color out of things. And like, uh, that's what it's like in a fascist society. And like, ah, uh, I just, it, it's hard not to say that it, it's fantastic, but yeah, I still don't like it. I don't like being disturbed. I, I want happy things. things. This is, this is not a happy thing. So, oh, waiting. oh, four. <laughs> All that for fun. All right, fine. J.A., how many Guy Fox masks are you giving this? So, Chad, I'm glad you mentioned the art because we talked a lot about Alan Moore and the writing and the plot and the story. But I feel like, you know, we would be giving the art short shrift if we didn't mention it. And because you mentioned it, I won't repeat it, <laughs> except to say that I really do love that minimal use of color, the very subdued palette. You know, lots yes. of blues, lots of pastels, um, just beautiful. It really made the uh, the line art and the inking come out. And there's a lot of dark, a lot of ink was used in this book. Mm-hmm. People who come to this after watching the movie, I think, are going to be in for a bit of a shock. I think it helps to have an understanding of England in the 80s. Because it is a very English-centered story, it's telling a story about fascism and anarchy and fascism in England in the 80s. You can translate that to modern world. You can translate that to modern England or modern America or wherever you want. And, you know, they did that a bit with the movie, but it's not the movie. So I don't want people to be turned off when they read this because they think it's just a movie's a adaption of the comic book straight up because it's not that being said it's it's wonderful it's four i'll go next i mean it's hard for me not to give it a four out of four i I will i won't lie though i think the beginning of the bit is a little bit slow um there's some good scenes in the beginning but again i i feel like it picks up once basically he lets evie back into the wild and then the stuff that happens with evie as she grows and the gordon stuff is kind of weird but, um, yeah, I, I think it really hits all cylinders with, again, Evie in the concentration camp scene. And especially after she reads the letter and then the, you know, you have one more chance, you know, to give up. And she's like, heck no. All right, take her behind the chemical sheds and shoot her. And she's like, fine. Then she walks through the hallways and she sees everything that was just fake and phony. And he goes, welcome home. I don't know why, but I feel like the series could have ended there. It was so powerful. And for me, the first thing I thought of was like, gosh darn it, Batman could have done that to Robin. Like, that's what Mm -hmm. I thought. I was like, Batman could have been so Looney Tunes that he could get a Robin and he could do that. Because that's what it would take to become another Batman. That kind of mental anguish and torture. That's the only thing that Bruce Wayne understands if you look at him from the darkest lens, which I think this is what it is. And I think that's why from a comic book fan, you still get great stuff out of this. I will say this, 
it's a hell of a lot better than the movie, which we'll get to right after the commercial break. So it's a four. The movie, not so much, but we'll get mm. to that. That's weird. Let's go to Mikey Wood. It's his favorite. One yeah, of his favorite. It books. is, and and that's weird because I don't. I actually kind of like the movie for mm. as a different thing, as its own thing. We'll get to that too. But you you mentioned that you wanted to know if I liked this or if it, if I thought it was a better book than The Watchmen. It's hard to answer that question because I think they're different. I think they're different books. One is a commentary on comic books and superheroes in general, and I think it's very cynical. And I do love it because it is also a, a, a work of art and a masterpiece. But this is this affected me differently. Uh, Watchmen didn't affect me. Watchmen entertained me, and I enjoyed it, but it didn't affect how I thought. And 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 yeah, like David Lloyd's artwork is beautiful and also he's done lots of really great stuff he did a book called kickback which was really cool which is like a like a crime book and he did a uh some stuff with hellblazer and he did the time bandits movie adaptation which i have but anyway um this is a four this is a four for me if i could give it more than that i would i think it's i think it's essential and again and i know you guys always give me crap when i but this is a book that marvel would never have published ever they would not have put this book out Uh, it's just not what they do and it's another reason that I love DC and that era specifically of DC between 86 and like 95 or something. It's just like so many books came out that just made me think on levels that I never thought about before. And it's a lot of reading. But it feels like it flows. For me, it flows. Oh, yeah. Once you get into it, it yeah. goes yeah. so fast. Well, anyways, uh, we'll be right back after these commercial breaks with our movie review of V for Vendetta, so stay tuned for that. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. We are Cheap Seat Reviews, the podcast that explores the Hollywood film industry for the greater good. good. Join us each week as we dive into the depths of streaming movies for the greater good. You can find us on Twitter at CheapSeatCast, Facebook.com slash CheapSeatReviews, and our website is CheapSeatReviews.Libsyn.com. All for the greater good. How can this be for the greater good? Shut it! Hazel always knew there was something special about her cat, Mooney, but she's still shocked when Mooney opens his mouth to tell her he's just had a vision. An ancient evil has awoken after centuries of sleep, and only one man can stop it, the legendary warrior, Beowulf. Unfortunately, it's been over a thousand years since he slayed a dragon, and he's been reincarnated as this guy. His name is Victor, and he's more unemployed millennial slacker than mighty warrior. Go to monarchpublishing.net for a free sample comic. All right, kids, hope you have your popcorn. It's time for us to go to the movies for movie mayhem or movie mayonnaise or <laughs> movie mayonnaise. What did we ever decide? Yeah, movies in the May. It's movie the mania. It's nice. Oh, yeah, brother. It's movie mania. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. And the cream rises to the top. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what if they hired him to play? Macho oh, Man May at the movies. Starring Randy Savage as the right. saw is ready. <laughs> <laughs> Off the rails. This show has gone. All right. So it's the movie version of V for Vendetta. J.A., tell us more. 
All right. So this was directed by James McTeague in his first feature film. The screenplay based on the comic book was by the Wachowskis of The Matrix fame, starring Natalie Portman as Evie, Hugo Weaving as V, Stephen Ray played Finch, the detective Stephen Fry in a very wonderful role as Gordon, but very, very different from the books, Gordon. And uh, John Hurt as the evil head honcho of the government. And can I say how much I love John Hurt? I love John Hurt. I, I, I think he's awesome. Anytime he's in, he was my favorite thing in Hellboy. I liked him as Professor uh, Broom. And, and, and also sort of he's come 360 because he played Winston Smith in a film adaptation of 1984. Right. Yes. Which I think uh, is one of the reasons they cast him. I think it was a subtle, you see how different this is? Yeah. But anyway, guys. (laughs) Well, I'm going to go ahead and give the 10 cent synopsis of V for Vendetta. And it is going to be 10 cents. As J.A. pointed out, it's a loose adaptation of the comic book. Because there's a lot of stuff that's cut out and thrown to the wayside. And the Gordon character is completely different. Yeah, Gordon's no longer a gangster. He's some guy that runs, I don't know, he's like a late-night talk show host or some garbage. better in the movie. No! Yes. He's a throwaway character in that. He's a throwaway character in this. Nah, he's dumb. And that's my initial thought. I'm going to go ahead and jump into that. From a synopsis into my thoughts on the V for Vendetta movie. I watched the V for Vendetta movie when it first came out, and I had not read the book yet. I was not a very good comic book person at that time. Shame on me. But I, I watched the movie and I thought it was okay. I was like, yeah, this is not bad. But then I went and I read the book because I was just like, well, I should. And then after that, the movie was garbage. Hot garbage. Hot, stinking garbage. And I will sit here on this show with my thoughts. And, I, and you guys can make me think otherwise. That's your job. But my job is to tell you that there was a forced romance between Evie and V, which didn't have to happen. All of the great subtext and with all the party members cut out. Yeah, I think the only thing that was good about it was they were very faithful to the concentration camp scene with Evie. And rightfully so, there's a, you know, a good reveal of the letter from Valerie, which is just as powerful in the movie as it is in the comic but everything else is garbage hot garbage hey kids kids this is your uncle mikey speaking there is no romance between evie and v just so you know they kiss they goddamn kiss it's oh smooching like yeah there's a scene on the train station he's dying he's coming back and she's like "Mm." yeah she kisses him she kisses the man well yeah but she kisses him like you kiss Oh V, where are you going? That's Stay love. With me. Run no. away with me. No, I didn't, I didn't. I didn't. No, I didn't channel that at all. What? Yeah, I didn't see that I in the movie. That either. You yeah. didn't see that. But no, I know. Yeah, Run no, but I me. didn't view the kiss the way you're viewing the kiss. As a romantic. Oh, there is. <laughs> oh, Andrew, there is. Think... You're projecting. You're projecting no, something I'm on not. there. He's, he's anyway, a, he's, they sit on a couch together. You guys want to defend it, but I the do. people that are really listening, they know that there's, <laughs> they were trying to shoehorn a relationship because he's the masked vigilante and she's Natalie Portman, who's gorgeous. 
So, like, why wouldn't you have a romance with him, her? I, I, I don't know. I would. But I'm not V, and I'm not from this yeah. book in which Evie is supposed to be her protege. And there's, she's not even her protege in this. She's not even well, close. Yeah. Like, she runs away from him at one point. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. Go ahead, guys. Defend this movie. Well, you know what? We just talked about how much I love the book, and I do. And it is it is my second favorite comic. Sandman's my favorite comic, but this is my favorite. And I kind of like the movie. I think the movie does the best that it can to be what it is. It hits several of the important notes of the comic, and it hits them very well. They're almost word for word from the book. It alters certain things, like Evie is not a 16-year-old girl. Uh, she's a 20-year-old who works for a media corporation. It's not as subtle, very heavy-handed with the, these are supposed to be fascists and Nazis, and this is what it looks like kind of thing. It's not about Thatcher's England. It's more about Bush's america at the time and and whereas i prefer the ending of the watchmen movie to the ending of the watchmen comic believe it or not i don't like the ending of this one i think i think the ending of this one while i get what they're going for and it works in the course of the movie uh, i prefer the ending of the book but to to make a movie of this at the time that the movie was made i think it succeeds on that level and i can enjoy it as its own thing separate from the source material which i prefer greatly prefer well, I, I think it's it's very important to consider when this came out. As in the States here, we were trading our freedoms for safety and convenience. You know, it's a commentary on that. But it's also from the Wachowskis, which at the, at the time were the Wachowski brothers. And so uh, knowing what's happened to them uh, over the years, you know, things that have come to light, like it, it adds a whole other layer to this particular story and understanding why they would want to tell this thing. But at the same time, so much of the nuance is sucked out of this and it's traded for flash. It's traded for flair to make V look cool or to, you know, make V look like he's the hero. And while I, I don't know if I felt as strongly as Andy did about the romantic aspects of things, there is a little, Stockholm syndrome with uh, Evie and V there. Why? Well, I, I you can make the argument for sure, but I I think so much of it comes down to the fact that this was made in 2005, before the environment we live now, where everything becomes a streaming series, and you have six to ten episodes to go through and explore these things. Like this had to be a movie done in two hours or so. Would it have been the best way to do something like this? Probably not. Whereas the book is fantastic and it's something that, you know, like I said, it's deeply disturbing and I, I would recommend the movie is something that's like, yeah, I watched that. I don't know. Jay, what do you think? I agree with both of you that this is something that would be much better as a HBO limited series the way The Watchmen was as opposed to a movie. I think the parts of the movie that I felt rang the most hollow were when V was being superhero V and, and all yeah. the action scenes. Because there's not a lot of action in the comic book. You see people killed, but they're, they're stabbed. And it's very it's played for his brutality's sake in the comic. Whereas in the movie, it's much more, oh, this is the action scene. Because it's an action superhero type movie. It's a, you know, And that's what I felt 
detracted from it, especially the standoff at the end between V and Pre, where where the the knives are having the the, the knife effect and the swinging. I was like, that's a bit too matrix matrix esque. And I mean, well, there's yeah. a, there's a reason for that though, because I mean, James McTeague was the special effects supervisor on the Matrix movies. That's his gig. The signature yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So they and they in 2005. I don't know if it would have sold uh, in a more pure form. Right. Yeah. Right. So maybe I'm action. hoping this becomes like the David Lynch Dune, and then they'll remake it. You know, five years from now for HBO or for Netflix or for you know some highfalutin ten part expensive remake that, series. And I I, right. I don't see why DC wouldn't want to do well, that. I want to bring up, again, another reason why I'm poo-pooing this movie is what J.A. just said about that ending fight sequence, because I think from a narrative perspective, it kind of, that was the moment I threw my hands up and I said, I, I hate this thing. Because after I read the, the comic and what happens, you know, to V and how he dies in the comic book, he gets shot by first off Finch. Finch isn't the worst character. So again, it adds some, some nuance there. Some like, Finch isn't all bad. That means... That means V couldn't be all good, you know, versus McCready. McCready's like Goebbels or anyways. Long story short, so you have, but you have that. And then he goes back to Evie and he tells her whatever. And and then you get that great scene in the comic book where everybody thinks V's dead. And she puts on the mask and like fires up the crowd because she's like, you can't kill this idea. You can get any of that. That power. Well, I, I mean, they they did that where yeah, they did that with the like we are all V. V was all that of us. again garbage. <laughs> no, nobody's V. It takes a certain type of person to be yeah. V. It's like the Dread Pirate Roberts. Right. You need There's a certain only... skill set. Exactly. Being tortured to this point of insanity. That's what it takes to be V. And so nobody just can put on a mask and go stand out in a crowd and be like, we're all V. Thanks for blowing that stuff up while we ate popcorn and watched. I don't know, man. I I like as a reader and as a fan of the book, I was glad that it kept a lot of my favorite stuff. And like, especially the ideas are bulletproof scene. Yeah. It's it's, a little well. And now like all of that actiony stuff, it does happen in the book, but it happens in, like you said, it's a much more subtle sort of, there's a flash of, of him and then there's dead people. Like, you don't you don't see it. It's much quicker and it's much less of an action movie, but that's not what people wanted. Well, that's my whole thing, though. It's not glorified in the book. Right. Whereas yeah. this, it, it wants it both ways. It wants it to be like, yeah, we've got these subversive ideas, but look also... We have the shiny action hero. And yeah. like, no, you can't you can't do both. He's portrayed much more as a hero in the movie than he is in the book. Uh, in the book, he's portrayed as someone who he's of driven. good intention. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and in the, you know, no, it's, I, it's, I think I think vengeance is an idea that a lot of human beings can get behind. I think at all points in our lives, we've had somebody that's like, yeah, that person cut me off or that person screwed me. And we were like, yes, vengeance. We understand. Mm-hmm. It's like justice, righteous justice. Like everybody feels that. So like, that's a very yeah. quote unquote heroic thing, rising up as the underdog and getting even with the people that put you down. I don't mm-hmm. think that's exactly kind or benevolent. I think that's just, Something that human beings are hardwired to say, yeah, that makes us feel good. And so that's that's the difference. And that's what you get in V the book. 
to Chad's point in V the movie, it's glorified. It's like, yeah, you should root for those people that well because and, they're taking vengeance on you know nazis personified true true and i will helps. say that is one thing in now in retrospect <laughs> now that like many many years later that the movie does do well is they make it a virus like that whole thing now with everything that happened with covid i'm just like yeah that's much more scary and i could see how like society would go crazy because yeah because but it did nobody wears masks until they send them in the mail and then I'll put them on yeah. for that big gathering. At the oh, end. there you go. Yeah, that. Yeah, that. I don't. That part is the only part that I wasn't like. I kind of liked certain elements of it, like the little girl spray painting the thing and having it showing that the things that he's doing are sort of sort of planting the seeds of rebellion against this thing, which is good. Um, I didn't like the whole. You'd but think the logistics, the logistics of sending. I mean. Yeah, you'd think some manufacturing of reality. Everything else I was fine with. I could suspend reality for all the other stuff in the movie. But I couldn't suspend for the logistics of sending all those masks out. I mean, sorry. Do you know how much money that would cost? (laughs) FedEx is not cheap. You mentioned Stephen Fry's part, and I and I and I really honestly think that he's a better character in the movie than he is in the book. In the book, he's a sort of like low-level gangster kind of guy who's involved in some sort of thing, and he's there, and he takes her in, and they have a romance, and then he's murdered. And it's another step for Evie, and it's important for her journey. But in the in the movie, I think Stephen Fry's version of of this, I think it represents sort of her dad and what happened with her father, and it's showing the audience that it's happening again, and it can happen right now to anyone and and, and and he's sort of the he's the embodiment of the sort of the liberal who is quiet but yeah. at the same time collects everything that's being lost well he's yeah. he's bizarro v he's 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 who you kind of want v to be underneath the mask it's kind of like you're like oh wow that would be really cool if it turned out to be you know but i'm glad that they never did the I don't know if you guys knew about James Purifoy. He was originally supposed to play V yes. in this. And he backed out and they, they said that it had something to do with him not being able to act in the mask. And that's something that Hugo Weaving does really, really well. Plus he gets that great scene as Agent Smith when he comes up to Evie in the concentration camp cell and he's like, all yeah. I need is a name. Yeah. Mr. <laughs> Anderson. That yeah. poor guy. All the movies but, he did, and that's all he's going to be remembered for. <laughs> yeah, but um, well, we got to get the ratings here because I don't even think we can have recommendations on the show. We're already at an hour, almost at a close to an hour with this great conversation. So let's get to ratings, and we'll wrap up this show. So JA, what do you got? So yeah, it's not as good as the comic book, but I think you know if to just say, oh, it's this, it's a hot mess or that, you, you're sort of missing the forest for the trees a bit, and. That scene that you like, the scene that they brought over, the concentration camp scene where Evie, you know, becomes whole. And not only was it almost exact from the comic, what made it so great was Natalie Portman's acting and Hugo Weaving's acting. They, you know, these are two A-list actors at the top of their game bringing immense emotion to a very emotional scene. And... It was shot and edited very, very well. So I can't give it less than a three, to be honest. It's it, it, the I'm dinging it because I thought the knife play and sort of the more comic book superhero stuff detracted from it. But you know, it's an adaptation, and as long as you're not a curmudgeonly old man, 
<laughs> then you can you can like it for what it is and not expect it to be f- a faithful recreation of a comic book that was written in 1982. All right. Well, I'll go next. This is like, this is a one. It was a three when I originally watched it, and then I read the book, and I was just like, wow. If I was Alan Moore, I'd be pissed off too, because they basically took, which is a really great book, and I guess they were in the ballpark with some of it, but it was just. It was it was done for a movie audience, and I don't think this is a book that can be done like that. And so maybe I'm I'm like V in this, and I just have vengeance in my heart. I have vengeance in my heart that I read this book and I wanted people to pay after it because it wasn't as good. And so maybe I should have just just never watched the movie. I I will say this for this show. I I tried to sit down and watch it again. And I just fast forwarded to the to the EV and the cell part because that's the only part I really liked. That's it. So one, Chad. Wow. So I, I'm not going to be that harsh, but when we're dealing with something where so much of it is wrapped up in ideals and idealism, the movie brings you uh, like a train packed with dynamite crashing into reality, and those trade offs you have to make to get a movie made. And to work within the studio system. And how could you make a movie about such anarchist ideals and a situation where you have a thousand people having to work together to process all the special effects and all the different nuances that have to go out into the movie. And like, it just, it sucked the life out of the story for me. And the the trade-offs they made were just too great to get this turned into a big budget blockbuster. And even Natalie Portman, I, I, I wasn't impressed with Natalie Portman's performance. I thought she was better when she went on Saturday Night Live with the shaved head and, and did her little crazy raps. Uh, I saw more emotion and, and more authenticity there. I felt like this was, I'm trying to be an actor. And I, I didn't buy it. Hugo Weaving, I thought, was great. But at this, like I said, at the same time, I just the intention was there. But the stuff they had to give away to get this made into a movie, the end product, I guess, just wasn't something I would champion. And so I'm not going to go as low as a one. I'll say it's a two and a half. I genuinely feel like they bastardized the source material. And then what you're left with is this hollow shell, you know, and you're like, oh, oh, this is what you did. Oh, that's that's where I am. That kind of sounds like a one kind of rating towards the end there. But anyways, Mikey, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Well, you said if you were Alan Moore, you'd be pissed, right? If I were Alan Moore, I'd cash my check and shut the hell up. Um, <laughs> but uh, Thank like, you. seriously, it's it's you put these things out into the world and they become the world's. I know people cry about the Watchmen thing, too, and all the all what they did with the Watchmen. Whatever. Just pay him. That's all. Um, so anyway. What I managed to do somehow is separate things in my brain. Like, I actually enjoy the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen movie. Um, like, to a point. Like, to a point. It's a pulpy, like, throwaway. Of all the bombshells dropped on this show. Yeah, well, it's like a pulpy throwaway adventure movie that happens to have a title of a comic book that is way better and much more involved. Captain Nemo in the yeah. movie is awesome. Thank you yeah. very much. Yeah. That's all they I want to say. Title, and that's about it. And that's how I try to look at these kind of things. Like, I think it gets the important parts and was surprised when I saw it that they didn't 
hold back when it came to the Valerie story and all that other, and the Evie thing and Evie walking out and standing in the rain. It, that scene in the movie is just, um, it's phenomenal. It's just fantastic. Sorry. I, I was choking on some of the scenery they were chewing there. Go ahead. <laughs> well, the Duke, yeah. It's, I mean, it's very overdramatic and it's very, you know, it, it, it is, it's a very Hollywood, but you have to kind of take it as its own thing. And uh, so, so I, it's like close, like a two and three quarters kind of thing for me. I enjoyed enough to own it. I liked the book much more. I returned to the book many more times than I do to the movie. I don't think I've watched the movie since, I don't know, probably like a few months after it came out on DVD. I mean, I maybe once or twice or something. I don't know. But yeah, like I can enjoy it for what it is and I can appreciate what they were trying to do. And I can understand the difficulties in translating that story to something that's going to be marketable to an American movie audience. Like I, I can appreciate it. Maybe it never should have been done in the first place, but it's there, you know? So it's, it's the same as the Stallone judge dread. Movie. Like you guys talked about dread. I can enjoy it because the production design is really, really cool. And it's better than the Carl Urban one. It looks more like the comics than the Carl Urban one does, but I am the law. that's right. All right. Well, we hope that you enjoy more episodes of The Last Comic Shop. I guarantee that next week we'll have some recommendations for you. Maybe we'll do double duty next week, but we don't have time on this week's show because we had such great conversations about V for Vendetta. And you can make sure that you check out all of our other great conversations on comics by going out to our website, www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. It's a terrific place where you can find all those podcast links as well as a link to YouTube where you can find great videos of sometimes the four of us because mikey woods in some of those videos as well and uh, make sure that you you check us out uh next weekend uh, at three rivers con we'll be there shaking hands and kissing babies and doing a panel on uh that sunday so um make sure that you stop out if you happen to be in the pittsburgh area at the david l lawrence convention center for three rivers con and you can find information on that on our social media right chad Absolutely. At Last Comic Shop on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, for recommendations, just get some Alan Moore stuff. I mean, he'll be angry and upset regardless, but there's tons of great stuff out there. Read Tom Strong. That stuff's great. Or read Doc Savage because it's the same thing. (laughs) You want to read another sort of Alan Moore-esque thing? uh, Go read Planetary. It's all about the comic book industry as well. So there you go. And yeah, while you're one. at it, check out our merch store because we have Guy Fawk masks on sale this week only. Well, no, not really. But we've got nice shirts and tote bags. They have Guy Fox masks in Target from some video game YouTuber. Wow. Like, like knockoff versions, not the, but like that's yeah. that's the world we live in now. Well, one thing that's not knockoff, though, is our last comic shop summer T-shirt now available out on our website. So make sure that you go out there, get some summer tees for the beach with the new last comic shop logo with all the palm trees and the hula girls. So, yeah, we've been the last comic shop. We don't want to be the last comic shop. Go to a comic shop near you. That's all we got for this one. Ah. And until next week, I was the host of the most, Andy Larson. I was joined by Jay Scott and Chad Smith, as well as the marvelous Mikey Wood. And we hope that you stay safe, stay victorious, and remember, remember the 5th of November. November. Of of May? It comes right after the 4th. And if you don't remember that day, I I guess you need to buy a calendar. Thanksgiving's coming. (laughs) 
Yes. Future Yams. Uh, and remember, That's next week, it's confused. not a movie. It's a TV show. It's Ms. Marvel. We're going to be talking about that. Woo-hoo. Stay tuned. The last comic shop was a 2022 Black Angus production.